0: Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the Word, God. Thank you for your Word that speaks to our heart. And the only way we can really understand and hear is if we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. So, Lord, may your Spirit give us ears to hear. May your Spirit fill us now, God, as we come to you, Lord, to hear your voice through your Word. And I ask you, anoint this time in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. There's this old story of this man who was walking the beach and noticed a boy picking up starfish and then flinging them into the ocean. Well, when he approached him, he asked the boy, why was he doing that? Well, the boy explained the tide is going out, the sun is rising, and you know what? The starfish would die if he didn't get them back into the ocean. Well, the man chuckled to himself and told the boy, There's thousands of starfish on this beach. You'll never make a difference. Well, at that, the boy bent over, picked up a starfish, threw it into the ocean, and said to the man, It makes a difference to that one. I like that. The idea really is, right, with thousands of people who need Jesus, one person can make a difference. In another person's life, by what? Sharing Jesus. And that's huge. When you share with one person, when you share Jesus with that one person, it's huge for them. It makes a difference, right? Because it affects his or her eternity. But let me say this many times we think that when there's a mass number of people coming to Jesus all at once, that well, that's a powerful work of God, which it is. But let me tell you, tell you even one person coming to Christ, one person who has led to salvation in Jesus, that is still a powerful work of God in their life. You know what I think about? I think about what Jesus said in Luke uh, 15, 10. He said, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Even later in that section, he said, all heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to the Lord. When one! There's not, the party doesn't wait till there's like 10 or 20 or 100. But one person is still God working and saving people. Saving someone. It's still the work of God. Now, our church is you know, maybe small, especially Wednesday night. Sunday's better, but that doesn't mean God is not working, right? I mean, even one person whose life has been changed by this ministry here, that is a powerful work of God. Amen? It's God moving, and you have to understand that. Well, here in Acts chapter 16, Paul and the missionary team, they're in Philippi. And in our passage tonight, a girl is delivered of a demon, and a jailer comes to be saved. Now, it doesn't seem like there's some big revival going on here, but it's still the powerful work of God. And that's the title of our message tonight, The Powerful Work of God. And we're going to be studying Acts chapter 16 from verse 16 to verse 40. We're going to finish this whole chapter here tonight, as I mentioned. So our title, The Powerful Work of God. Now, we're going to see four things here. Number one, the unholy opposition. Number two, the unrestrained offering. Number three, the unbelievable opportunity. And number four, the unforeseen outcome. So let's begin here with the powerful work of God, which is going to unfold in front of our eyes here in this passage. Let's begin with number one in our outline, the unholy opposition. The unholy opposition. Now we're going to be looking at verse 16 through 18 under this outline heading, verse 16 through 18. But let's first take a look at verse 16, Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It reads here, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. We'll stop right there. Now we begin with the writer, which is Luke saying we. And I just want to uh, uh, put in your mind, remember back in verse 10 in the same chapter, it changed to we from they to we because Luke, the writer, Dr. Luke here, of this book joined the missions team. Remember we have Paul and Silas, Timothy, and now Luke. This is like a dream team, I think, for me. The best that there is going out here on this mission trip Which, you remember, Paul is now taking what we know as the second missionary journey. So here they are in that city of Philippi they came to, we saw last week. And so it reads here, as we, as the missionary team, was going to the place of prayer. You remember, that is where last week we saw Lydia Come to know Jesus Christ. Because there, the Jews are meeting. And Lydia was a Gentile, but he was a pros- she was a proselyte. She was worshiping the true God. And when she heard about Jesus, then she accepted Jesus and was saved. And we saw that last week. We remember that... This is where these Jews were meeting by the riverside for prayer. That was custom when there was no synagogue in this town. And and you're going to have 10 men to have a synagogue, and that was the way their custom was, but they didn't. So that shows you that there wasn't a lot of Jews there, but more Gentiles. But they would still meet by the uh, river at this place that they de- designate to meet and probably pray psalms and different uh jewish prayers there and that's what they meant to do so as they were going to that place of prayer we were met by a slave girl she's a servant she's she's in bondage with her masters we're gonna see more than one but she's this servant, this slave girl who had a spirit of divination. In other words, she would, as we read here in verse 16, she would tell fortune. She was fortune-telling. She do palm reading. She was a soothsayer. But she had this spirit, we will see, and really is a it was a demonic spirit that was in her. Now, this servant girl, the slave girl who would give these readings and fortunes and all, well. She made a lot of money for her masters. There was much gain by her fortune telling. Uh, Sadly to the, the masters, this girl was just a possession as we will see to them. They exploited her for their own personal gain. So it goes on here in verse 17 and 18. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So here's this slave girl following the team around for many days now. And she kept crying out. And so you can see that, that what was crying out wasn't really her, but it was this demon, as as we will we see here, what we read. And so she kept doing this for many days. You know, what's surprising to me is the girl kept this up, or the demon inside her kept it up. You you think this demon would not like Paul? You think this demon would would not like them sharing Jesus Christ and going around and trying to save people? And you think Paul would think, "Well, here here's free advertising here." You know, here's a demon mentioning this, telling what the truth is. But we read here that in verse 18 Paul having become greatly annoyed. He was totally annoyed of this demon, of this girl, following them around and, 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 and saying these things. Well, what did Paul do? Well, we see here in verse 18 that he turned and said to the spirit, this demonic spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, To come out her. And it came out that very hour. In NLT it says that it instantly left her. This demon. He cast out this demon. Out of this slave girl. And so we can see Paul here. Many of the apostles right in the book of Acts. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. With the power of God. And because God is involved. uh, This girl was powerfully delivered of this demon. And I love it here where it says. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, not in the name of Paul or or Silas or anyone else, but in in the name of Jesus, in the powerful name of Jesus, then the demon was cast out. So we see here the the slave girl was powerfully delivered by the powerful work of God. This was the powerful work of God going on. Now, uh, let's think about this for a moment. You might think, that, that this is good. The demon saying, these guys, they're showing the way of salvation. These guys are showing you how to be saved. Uh, but Paul knew that it wasn't good to accept the testimony from demons. That uh, It's not right because it's confusing. You can't mix two Systems. Now, we understand that the demons are going to recognize the truth here, right? Uh, we know in James, it says that even the demons believe and tremble. They, they believe in God. They just don't have faith in salvation. But they know, right, because they're fallen angels. They know the truth about God here. So here's this demon speaking this truth. and and But Paul understands that, you know what, Satan's going to try and come in. And even though, yeah, these guys follow these guys, he's going to try and lead people astray. He's going to try and corrupt this truth that they're announcing, and 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 he he's going to come in there and mess things up. So Paul, being greatly annoyed, did not want to allow this to go on. He did not want to allow you know what Satan to infiltrate what they were doing. Now. Even if Lydia, we saw last week, and her house were saved, Satan begins his counterwork here in the efforts of this, against the efforts of this missionary team in Philippi. So what we see here is the unholy opposition. It came by way of infiltration by this demon, by Satan trying to infiltrate what they were doing in this world work now in second corinthians 1 11 14 this is the nlt it says but i am not surprised even satan disguises himself as an angel of light you see satan can speak the truth in one minute but in the next minute he tells a lie he mixes the true and the false and brings it together to come to a different conclusion of what the word of god is really saying and so imagine if this demon is going around. Hey, yeah, these guys, these guys. And, and, and there, there, there's this girl saying that who's been fortune telling. Well, the people can get confused. The unsaved people, they won't know the difference. Oh, well, you can go see a fortune teller or you can get your fortune read and then, oh, and, and follow Jesus. And it's all okay. This is how Satan comes in in the way of infiltration. So this unholy opposition, it's this demon came in to try and infiltrate what these guys were trying to do. And isn't that what Satan is doing in the church even today? Bringing in false doctrine, drawing people away from what the word of God says. Bringing in compromise, compromising what the truth and principles of the word of God. John MacArthur said, we're under the presses of infiltration which is satan's subtle and effective work he can come in thing like an angel of light make things sound great but it's really not so be on guard be on guard for satan's schemes how he mixes the truth with the lie and 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 that we're, we're like well it's okay doing some evil doing this i'm okay i'm all right but it's not. You know what? It's really demonic. It's really the doctrines of demons going on. And so this is what was happening here. Satan tries his infiltration, but he 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 cannot do it. He's stopped by the powerful work of God. All right. This is the unholy opposition. And now we come to number two, the unrestrained offering. The unrestrained offering. Here we're going to cover verse 19 now through 26. 19 through uh, 26. So we start here in verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely." Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So we'll stop right there. Okay, now here's the owners, the masters of this slave girl. She's been delivered of this demon. By the way, we don't know if she got saved. There's nothing written of this. But I have to believe that once she was delivered of this demon, that she did embrace Jesus. But that's my hope that one day maybe we'll see her in heaven there. But since that demon was gone and this spirit of divination where she can fortune tell was done and gone, the owners, they saw their hope of gain. The way to make their money was gone. And I think that's so sad because they did not care for her. They did not care for the bondage that she was in. They only cared for the money. In a way, you could say that she was trafficked in these ways of, of, of giving fortune telling in that way. And and it's in the same way today. When girls are trafficked, no, they don't care about the person. They care about the money that they make. Well, these owners didn't like that. So they were upset. They seized Paul and Silas, grabbed them, drugged them to the marketplace where the rulers were, where the authorities were. And they told the magistrates, uh, here, here, in the, this Roman colony, there's two, like, governors, basically. And so that's why magistrates. And usually they set up two guys there. And so, that, so they tell them, look, these men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. And they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So here they come. They drag Paul and Silas. And and you know what? They, they charge them. Basically, they accuse them. First of all, they say, look at these Jews here. They come in making making trouble. These Jews, they've come in. These Jews have come in and, and like they do in other places, making trouble. They, they, and, and they say, look, these guys come in and also they say that they advocate customs. They're talking about Jesus Christ. They talk about the sharing of, of Jesus, the gospel. They say they advocate this religion that is not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. You know what? Back then... It was Roman law that before you can teach or follow a religion, it had to be approved by the Senate. Isn't that crazy? So they're bringing all of this up and they're accusing them. And then when the crowd hears that in verse 22, they joined in. They went wild. They attacked Paul and Silas. And then you know what? The magistrates, they just they just said, okay, we're going to deal with them. And they gave orders to beat them with Rods. Now these rods were were birch sticks, a whole bunch tied together, and they're very hard and stiff. And they'd be whacking them all over on their back, just whacking them, inflicting pain, cutting into the sin, uh, skin, uh, bruising them. So this was not a pretty sight here. Well, then the magistrates they threw them into prison, ordering this, the jailer there, uh, the the prison of the city. Um, They're ordering a jailer to keep them safely. I think a better translation is to make sure they don't escape. And so they were put into the inner prison. You know what? That's the deepest down dungeon part down there. It's dirty, stinky, rat rat infested. And then they fastened their feet in stocks. Now, I was reading one commentator saying that they would spread their legs and they put them in stocks and they stretched their legs out to induce cramping but you couldn't move you couldn't you couldn't stretch it out you couldn't do anything and all that was designed to induce painful painful cramps into your legs notice something here there's no trial there's no questioning are these accusations true this was basically what we call what kangaroo court court right I, I almost think that maybe the, the, the magistrates, these politicians, that they were probably uh, uh, getting a kickback yeah, from these businessmen, from, from, from uh, the money they made off this slave girl. Well, with all that, Paul and Silas, they're in prison now. Now, I don't know where Timothy or Luke is. Perhaps they are somewhere else when this happened. And perhaps um, that's why Paul and Silas are grabbed. Maybe uh, the the owners, the business owners recognize these guys are the leaders. But either way, it's Paul and Silas. And look at verse 25 now. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds unfastened. Let's look at verse 25 first of all. It's midnight. Paul and Silas, they're in the stocks. They're in the deepest dirty dungeon. And what are they doing? What do we find Paul and Silas doing? Are they complaining? Are they crying in pain are they are are they complaining to god all bitter and everything and angry no they're praying and what singing hymns i don't know what they were singing they're singing worship songs basically maybe they're singing the halal psalms or, or 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 some other christian hymns back then that were being sung and written but they were praying to the lord and then they were worshiping god I think that's amazing. And as they were doing that, we see in verse 25 that the other prisoners were what? They were listening to them. I think the other prisoners couldn't help but hear what they're doing. And they're intently listening. What they were doing got their attention because who does that? After all that they went through, thrown in the deepest dungeon there, dirty, horrible place, their feet in stalks, they're in pain. But they're singing. They're singing songs. They're singing hymns to God. You know what? The prisoners were hearing what I call songs in the darkest hour of night. Songs that come out at midnight. Songs that come out in the dark. You know what? I believe this dungeon turned into a sanctuary for God. It turned into a church It turned into a place to meet with God. Isn't that amazing? Paul and Silas, they're they're, they're bleeding. They're beaten and bruised. They're in this infested dungeon. (laughs) They're chained to these stocks, yet their worship is not chained, right? Their heart and their voices can still come out. Their heart is free to worship God. And in this darkest night, in this deepest dungeon, you know what? They come to the Lord and give a sacrifice of praise. And I believe in that God came. God comes into that dungeon, into that prison. God inhabits the praises of these two servants. Imagine what that felt like. You know, I was thinking about in Ephesians 5, it talks about how when we're filled with the Spirit... We sing songs. We sing new songs. We, the Spirit fills us with this song of voice and exalting God. And, and that's what these guys were. Even in this circumstance, they were filled with the Spirit. I wonder what it felt like. Imagine that, what it would have been like. No wonder the prisoners are listening and the other guys. No wonder. Maybe they felt something different. What, what, the Spirit of God came into that place wonder what that was like. The presence of Jesus right there, and no wonder the other prisoners were listening. Tertullian, an early church um, writer and all, he said, the legs feel nothing in the stalks when the heart is in heaven. I love that. That's where they were. They were praying, they are singing, that that dirty dungeon turned into a sanctuary for God. And even though physically they weren't feeling well, even though the circumstance was so bad, that didn't matter because God was there with them. But you may be asking this. Wait, wait, all right, that's cool. This sounds great. Songs in the darkest hour of night, you know. But how can Paul and Silas sing at a time like this? How is that? How can he, How can they do that? I mean, it seems like their mission there in Philippi is done with. They don't know how long they're going to be in this jail. They've been treated unjustly. No trial, nothing. They're just thrown in there. They've been beaten. I mean, it seems like the situation is pretty horrible to me. So how can Paul and Silas sing at a time like this? Well, let me give you three things. Number one, they can sing because... God is always worthy to be praised. Remember that. God is always worthy to be praised. We got to keep that in our heart. God, he is the Lord, right? The Lord God. He's our creator. He is all-powerful. He's holy. We need to bow down and humble ourselves before his holiness. He's all-wise. God is truth. God is the exalted one, right? Because he sits on the throne. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords, the Lord God. There, so God is always worthy to be praised. No matter what's going on in our lives, we can still come to the Lord in worship. We can still come. If, 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 if there's any reason to come and worship in church and worship, you know what? It's because God is God and we should worship him for who he is. So God is always worthy to be praised. Secondly, God is always sovereign at work. God is always sovereign at work. Whether it's good situations, whether it's bad situations, whether the circumstances are going your way or not going your way, you know what? God is always sovereignly at work. We understand that, right? Romans 8, 28. All things work together, right? For those who love God and call according to his purposes. We understand that. This is our sovereign God that we serve and know. So we can worship him because no matter what's going on, I mean, if, if the prison doors are open, yeah, easy to sing, right? But when they're closed tight and we're behind those doors, when we're caught and chained to something and something's going on, it's hard to worship but we have to believe god is always sovereignly at work. So god is always worthy to be praised cuz he's god. God is always sovereignly at work and here's the third thing. God is always trustworthy. You can trust god totally. God is always trustworthy. You know what? You know what I'm saying is he will keep his promise to you. He will keep his promise. He will fulfill His promise toward you. God will keep what the word of God says. This is the truth. This is the promises. He will not go against what the Bible says. So understand that. He's trustworthy. You can totally trust God no matter how it looks, no matter how it feels, no matter your emotions. Get back to what the word says and the promises in his word and hold on to that. So God is always worthy to be praised. God is always sovereignly at work. God is always trustworthy. Listen, how you see God is what matters. How you see God is what matters. Now, some let their problems dictate their view of God. You can say they base their theology on circumstances. But Paul and Silas, no, they could sing unrestrained. You know why? Because their theology was not based on being in jail, beaten or not, the crowd against them, the city against them, their mission seems to be at an end. No, their theology was not based on circumstances, but based on the Word of God, the truths that are here. So instead of the, let's put it this way, instead of the situation dictating who God is, who God is brought light to their situation. Who God is brought to light what the situation really is. That God, He's sovereignly at work. That God, you can trust that He's doing something and He's going to fulfill His promises you know no wonder and if, with that in mind think about what paul wrote in the book of philippians his letter to the philippians in philippians 4 4 he said rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice rejoice in what the lord <clears throat> Rejoice in who he is. Rejoice in his promises. Rejoice in his word. Rejoice that he's sovereignly at work. Rejoice in the Lord. Not according to your circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord God who doesn't change. So you understand, this is how they could pray and sing, have a worship service, turn the prison into a sanctuary that no matter how bad it is, they can still come to the Lord with joy. They can still come to the Lord and meet Him right there. All right, verse twenty-six. So while they're singing hymns, right? We read suddenly there is this great earthquake. There is huge earthquake, and it was big enough to shake the whole prison. It says the foundations of the prison were shaken. And but then it was this was like a specified earthquake. It, it, it seemed localized because. With this earthquake, we read here in verse 26, and immediately all the doors, the prison doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The chains fell off. The, the, the stalks that Paul and Silas were in fell off. They could relax their legs. They could stand right now. Isn't this pretty interesting? This is a specific quake. We can see, can't we, how powerful Praise and worship is, right? You know what? I, I, I think this is a, a picture of what worship can do to our heart, to our minds. That, that worship can release us from our fears and doubts, from our, our confusion, from, from the pressures and stresses and worry. When we come to the Lord and put our mind on God, he can shake those things and release us from the bondage that we're in you know i this reminds me of um in second chronicles chapter 22 king jehoshaphat was told that the ammonites and the moabites and they got another uh people coming together coming together to 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 come and and, and fight uh judah there and the king went to the lord and prayed to the lord and you know what uh, a prophet came and told King Jehoshaphat that you know what the the lord said don 't worry don 't be afraid and you know what He told them the battle is the the battle 's not yours but god 's it 's not your battle and so he gathered the people, told them what the Lord said and and then gave them instructions from the lord and as they went out for battle um, or as they went out, what he did was not send his army but he sent the worship team first. <laughs> How do you like being the worship team there? What, you sure about that? But they went out first, and they went praising the Lord and give thanks to the, uh, singing, give thanks to the Lord, his steadfast love, and uh, endures forever. And you know what? The enemy was defeated. So we see here the unrestrained offering of prayer and praise. It brought a powerful move of God. That's what brought this. Worship and praise brought a powerful move move of God. You know, uh, our worship, we can open our mouths. We can give our hearts to the Lord anytime, no matter. And I believe we need to do that. This was their unrestrained offering. The change couldn't stop them from giving worship to the Lord. I was just encouraging someone going through a very... Very hard time, very rough time. And uh, I asked him, "Are, are you worshiping the Lord? You need to worship the Lord. Get some headphones, buy some, put them on, put worship music on. So just you and the Lord and worship God. Go into his presence. Be with the Lord. This is how we can battle here, our fears and doubts, our despair. This is how God can lead us to the rock that is higher than I, like the psalmist said, it, it, it puts our eyes on focus on, on God. It's, it helps us to see who God is, and God is bigger and greater than any of our pro- problems. Isn't that what the Lord told Jeremiah? Is anything too hard for me? No. As we worship the Lord, we're brought into his presence. As we worship the Lord, the Spirit fills us and speaks us, and we begin to see the impossible in light of the God we love, which makes all things possible. So I encourage you, you know what, just don't worship in church. You know, worship in your devotions. Put worship songs on. Worship as you drive. You know, especially if you're in a place where you're chained and there's... Things going on and and you're just so confused and your mind is just all upside down, your heart, your emotions are going up and down. You know what? Worship God. Go before the Lord. Turn your car you're driving into a sanctuary. Turn your bedroom where you're having devotions into a sanctuary. Go to that place, your, 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 your prayer room, or go, to, go outside, sit where you sit with the Lord, and turn it into a sanctuary and worship Him. And I'll tell you what, when you do, you'll find an earthquake happening, and you'll be released of those chains. You'll find the powerful work of God happening in your life. All right, we see number one, the unholy opposition. Number two, the unrestrained offering. And now number three, the unbelievable opportunity. And here we're going to be looking at verse 27 through 34. 27 through 34. Let's begin here with verse 27 28. It reads When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. We'll stop there. Now, here's the jailer. I believe his home was right next to the prison. Um, uh, that's he takes care of the he's the jailer takes care of he's the warding guy and so he's he lives right there that's where his house is so he r- realizes maybe the, the earthquake woke him up maybe he heard a rattle I, I don't know but he woke up and he looked and he sees the doors are like wide open and seeing that he assumes all the prisoners are gone now, you have to understand, a Roman soldier, and perhaps he was an ex-Roman soldier, or maybe he still was, this was his assignment. He, 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 did not want it to be, he did not want to be humiliated here. And he knew the penalty for prisoners escaping would be his own life, the end of his life. And so not wanting to be humiliated, he, he thought, well, I'm going to draw my sword. This is it. This is the end. You can see that this, this jailer, a proud soldier, uh, this was his life. He was obedient to his superiors. He, he represented Rome here. And, and with the prisoners gone for him, it was like his life was done. All that he worked for, gone. Even if he couldn't explain how it all happened, the earthquake, they would still blame him. He, he knew that. So here this was the end his prestige and honor as a soldier he was done for I think this guy this this was his life this was important to him and he hit bottom in this way Well we 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 read here that um <clears throat> Paul out Paul cried out with a loud voice verse 28 he's like Uh, "'Cried with a loud voice, "'Do not harm yourself, for we are all here.' "'And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear, "'he fell down before Paul and Silas. "'Then he brought them out and said, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' "'And they said, "'Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household.' "'And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house.' And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So we see Paul here. Here's a jailer about to take his life. But Paul says, no, wait. Hey, don't harm yourself. You know what? We're all still here isn't that interesting no one ran you think everyone would run i'm not sure why the other prisoners didn't run but i think the lord told paul and silas you know what stay stay here when he realized what was going on when he saw he put it all together this was a supernatural event right an earthquake just opening the doors, chains falling out. What, this is supernatural. He realized this is a God event going on. Perhaps maybe he could hear some of the singing. Perhaps the sense of the presence of God kind of came into his house too. Something was going on. And so the jailer now, broken, hitting bottom, realized his need for a savior. What he thought was worth so much was not worth anything at all. And so he called out and he said to Paul, once he got lights and saw everyone was there, he he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 30. And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. He was at that place. God brought him to that place where he called out that he saw his need to be saved, and Paul was right there to show him how, to believe on the Lord Jesus. Now, some people take this verse 32, where it says, and to all, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 31, and you will be saved, you and your household, to say, well, if if the, uh, the jailer believed, then the rest of his house came in and were saved also. But, but we understand that every person stands or falls on their own behalf. Um, um, you can't go on the coattails of anyone else. You have to have your own personal faith. So it, it's, that's not what, it's, what he's saying. But Paul is saying, look, if you believe, you'll be saved. If your household believes too, they will be saved also. That's really the, the idea here. So with that, uh, Paul and Silas, they spoke now, verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. So they shared Jesus. And you know what? They ended up being saved. They ended up uh, uh, coming to be baptized, as we read here. Now, some say they use this where uh, Paul and Silas, they went in and, and shared the word. Um, if you believe you and your household and all, all in the household were baptized there in verse 33. Some say that, well, this this is where we get infant baptism because the jailer, his whole family was saved and there was probably a baby and they got baptized. But the text doesn't say anything about a baby there. Uh, so you cannot base a principle on something that's not specifically said there and we don't know that there are infants there but most likely not so when we read though read here uh, and this is what I want you to see is that that this jailer truly believed in Christ and was, was saved and how do we know that because there's fruits of that here first of all we read that they were baptized, uh, verse 33. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So the, the apostles here, or Apostle Paul and, Silas, Paul and Silas, they would not baptize anyone unless they first believed and were saved. And we've been seeing that throughout the book of Acts. So his household came to faith, believed in Christ, and so we see that fruit that they uh, were baptized. And then we see that in uh, verse 33, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Before, he couldn't care about them, right? They were beaten. They were thrown in jail. Verse 24, nothing about caring for them. Just threw them in in the dungeon. Now he wanted to care for their wounds, give them first aid, help them out. I I think it was that restitution, restoration there that he wanted to do, and it showed his new heart there. Also, we see before, uh, the jailers, they weren't responsible for feeding prisoners, but look what he does. He brought them to his house, set food before them. He fed them. They don't do that. That's normally... Something jailers do. It's not like today you get nice meals or you get some meals and all that. Back then, um, the only way you would eat is if family or friend would come and bring you food. But the jailer did that himself. So you see a changed heart there. Now he's feeding them. Before Christ, he was in despair, right? He took out his sword. But now we read here that... um, in verse 34, and he rejoiced along with his entire household. Now he's rejoicing in Jesus. So you can see the jailer is truly come of true faith and is saved. You know what I think? As we put all this together, I think the big earthquake, you know, it was designed to save the jailer. I I, I think that. And I I think we can back up even more as the persecution that was brought upon Paul and Silas was to bring them into this prison so they could sing and pray. And I think even that was an influence. Did Paul know this? Did Paul know this was going to happen? Is this why they could sing? I don't think so. But it's these times, persecution comes. It's these times, Paul knew in these times, that these are the times when God's going to surprise you. God's going to do something to surprise you. Paul gave glory to God in Ephesians 3.20. He wrote, Now to him was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. You see, God was powerfully at work here. God was in allowing this persecution. Sovereignly, he had a plan. Brought an earthquake, all this. And then the jailer was saved. So this is the unbelievable opportunity. The unbelievable opportunity came from persecution that brought salvation of the Roman jailer. Isn't this amazing to think how, how God put it all together? You know what? This makes me think about Jesus. How the persecution, suffering, and his death. It looked so bad. It looked like it was over. It looked like, how could that happen? If you were the disciples back then, you're like, what? What's going on? But we know today that Christ persevered his suffering and death what turned out for what our salvation when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead when he paid the penalty for our sins it looked so bad but it was actually really good for us like that i think the devil must have thought he won here oh we got paul and silas we got them they can't go out and preach no one else is going to get saved in this city. They're not going to make trouble for us demons anymore. The devil thought he could ruin more lives. He thought he ruined their life, their mission there. Here, Satan thought he could keep more from finding life in Jesus and stopping the gospel. The gospel, but no. God took what seemed like a bad situation and turned it into, you know what? An opportunity. An unbelievable opportunity for someone to be saved. Isn't that amazing, you guys? I think that's amazing how God works. Let us learn from this passage. You know what? This is how you spell persecution. O-P-P-O-R-T-U-N-I-T-Y. Opportunity opportunity and in the opportunity god makes you will find the powerful work of god all right we see number one the unholy opposition number two the unrestrained offering number three the unthinkable opportunity and now number four the unforeseen outcome the unforeseen outcome here we're going to look at verse 35 to 40 finish up this chapter No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Well, well, look how things turn here, right? How the tables turn. So the magistrates, like, the next morning's like, you know what, let these guys know. Hey, we taught them a lesson we show who's the man here. We show them we're the ones in control. They cannot cross us. But when news came to Paul that they were to be let go, Paul's like, well, wait. They can't do this, you know. They've beaten us, Roman citizens. He reveals that Paul and Silas, they are both actually Roman citizens. They've been publicly beaten. They haven't had a trial or nothing. They've been condemned or, or not condemned or, with, uh, or uncondemned, they say, thrown in prison there. And now there's, a, there's no trial, no sentencing. And understand how huge this is. This is against the law. It, it, there's rights for a Roman citizen. They cannot be beaten, condemned, sentenced, thrown in prison without a trial. You have to understand, Philippi is a Roman colony. Originally, it was was, was Greek, right? But Rome came, took it over. So Rome came, brought their their leadership, brought in people to make it a Roman colony. And so the people in Philippi prided themselves as, we're Romans. We do what Romans do. We, We follow Rome. We do as Rome does. So... This is embarrassing now for the magistrates. Paul's like, well, let them come. Let them come and talk to us. This is embarrassing for the authorities because if Rome found out that this happened, they would be the ones beaten and imprisoned. They would lose their status, their position, everything. And they, so they're like, oh, oh, okay, we're sorry. You know what? Uh, um, just, just go. Go quietly there. Just go ahead and leave, leave the city. Now, here's a thought. Why didn't Paul say something sooner? I mean, when they were being beaten, when the magistrates ordered them to be beaten, no trial, no question, no defense. They couldn't give their defense against accusers. Why didn't Paul say something sooner? Did he forget? No, I don't think so. How come he didn't say something sooner? He could have saved himself and Silas from much pain and suffering. Why didn't he say anything? Probably because the Spirit told him not to. Did Paul know this was going to happen? I don't think he really knew how it would unfold. But Paul trusted God here. And what God was telling him to do. Even if he did not understand it right at the moment. I think this is huge. He could have pulled that card out. Hey, this, I have rights, you know. I have right. You can't do this for me. He could have fought hard right then and there. But he was so submitted and surrendered to the Holy Spirit that even at at the cost of his his, pain and suffering, he followed the Lord, trusting God. And I think even at that moment, they're beaten. They didn't know this jailer was going to get saved, his family but that was all in God's plan and God was leading him and he followed the Lord. But when time came, hey, did you know we're Roman citizens? What? Ah, 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 What? Everyone's like, oh no. Totally embarrassed. Verse 40, our last verse. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, who was saved earlier, last week we saw. And when they had seen the brothers, other believers, they encouraged them and departed so even though the magistrates said go go yeah just leave quietly we're, we're, we're sorry we'll keep it between you and i paul's like no we're gonna hang out for a little while you know why because they have nothing on him actually paul has on them he's holding card uh, you know his card or him so it, i i like how it says in verse 40 they encourage them and departed. I think this must have been so encouraging to hear this story from the believers. Of Paul and Silas singing, of, uh, uh, of the other prisoners listening in, of the earthquake, of the jailer becoming saved. This whole story of what God has done and how God powerfully worked against even the authorities of the city. Take note here at the end of verse 40, it says, They encouraged them and departed. Uh, it was we, now we're back today, and it must be that Luke stayed on in Philippi, maybe to to be with the disciples, the type of people, disciple people there. So the, the authorities here could not uh, get to Paul, could not stop Paul from continuing sharing and encouraging the believers. And the authorities also, I think they could not do to believers what they did to Paul in Philippi. Paul carried that card. I think he said, I think basically it's like, hey, if you mistreat the Christians here, I'm going to let Rome know, you know, (laughs) kind of thing. Don't mistreat them. And so you know what we see? The church in Philippi was protected. All this, Paul holding back his citizenship, it ended up with this outcome. Unforeseen that the believers in Philippi were now protected. Amazing, God's plan. Amazing what he does. In Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isn't that good to know? That God has his plan. That sovereignly he is working. That God, the God of the universe, God who created everything, God who is in power, God is orchestrating, orchestrating things sovereignly. He is at work and we can trust him. His plan, what he sovereignly allows and is moving in, he can bring about an outcome that we can't even conceive. So our last point is this. The unforeseen outcome to the unjust treatment was the church is now protected. This is our life, you guys. This is is what we need to walk in, to trust the Lord in those hard places, to trust the Lord in the impossible, to trust God and know that he is there no matter what, because there's an unforeseen outcome that will blow our minds that we'll, we're going to be like, whoa, I never even thought it would come like this. I was thinking about, you know, <clears throat> the song Oceans, right? I mean, whenever I hear that, it really gets to me. And, and <clears throat> um, like these words, it says, you call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. And of course, I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves when oceans rise. My soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. And I particularly like, I believe this is the bridge that says, Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Don't you love that? Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. God is doing something in your life. Know that. God is working a plan in your life. And there's an unforeseen outcome. We try and figure it out. We try and think, well, it should be like this or like that. But God in His greatness, God in His His wisdom, God in His will, you know what? He takes us farther in our faith in these things. And the outcome is unbelievable. He takes us, like the song says, deeper than our feet can ever wander. Will we totally trust God with our lives then? Will we trust God in our situation Even when we don't know the outcome, will we do that? God has a plan in all this. He's working even in the bad circumstances, even in the persecution, even in our disappointments. I'll close with this. Taya Smith was uh, (coughs) um, a singer, her singing talent was unknown to even her own church, Taya Smith. Um, when she was stuck in Sydney, unable to get a flight out because they're so expensive, um, she couldn't go see her family. situation wasn't good. Well, she ended up, when she stayed back, being able to sing with the youth band. Two days later, she got a call from record producers uh, who heard her sing that night. Taya was invited to the recording studio to do some backing vocals well she didn't have a driver's license she had to uh, travel multiple buses and trains it took her two days to get to that place and then she had to skateboard from the train station to the recording studio which was one and a half hours each way i mean talk about not giving up talk about We get it. I don't know, you know. But she kept at it. Well, at the studio, the record studio, recording studio, she happened uh, in this session, she happened to be asked to record a song. And the song was titled Oceans. And while we know the song, we know the recording, we know the voice. Get this, though. Being able to sing and record the song was actually a fulfillment of a prayer she had prayed two weeks earlier. And her prayer was asking God to help her to step out into that unknown. Well, like Peter walked on the water, Jesus is asking us to step out into that unknown but know this, and, and yes, there's a risk in this, isn't there? But it's there, at that place, that we see the powerful work of God. Let's pray. God, we want to get to that place, Lord, where what matters is you, where our eyes are locked on you and who you are, God. Lord, help us, Lord to experience help us to be in that place where we see you working god lord sometimes we're so caught up with ourselves what we think we can do what we think we can handle and we don't take those risks that you're leading us into sometimes we're protecting ourselves too much lord when we should be trusting you more and so god we just want to surrender to you tonight god we want to take a moment, Lord, to, to, to pray and then worship you. So, God, here we are, Lord, offering to you prayer. And we're going to offer to you a song. But Lord, we come to you. Forgive us, Lord, of our lack of faith. Forgive us for our lack of trust, Lord. But let us see the bigger picture that we can trust you, that you're sovereignly at work. And if there's anything else, we should humble ourselves and submit to you because you are Lord God, in Jesus' name.